usan como instrumento entretenimiento una industria que genera cientos de millones creando clones cambian sueños por ilusiones allí no existen valores I'm Tom Kennedy and welcome to Uncensored Stories Today we're welcomed by Fran to talk about capitalism. Thanks for joining us, mate. Oh, thanks for bringing me here. I'm glad to be here. All right, let's kick things off by talking about the basic fundamentals of capitalism. Right, well, <clears throat> yeah, to me, I suppose, like, it's just a notion that someone can, with their own initiative and their own skill, take a certain amount of money and make it into a bigger amount of money without with, with as little government interference as possible whether that be in the form of taxation or in the form of regulation uh -huh. <clears throat> so like i suppose for the purposes of this conversation the opposite would be socialism whereby the government control the resources and whereby the, the, the individual capacity to go out and operate in the economy is limited in that way so yeah, so capitalism, I suppose, really, yeah, it's just it's 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 where you can just do as you want in terms of making money, and where like the more capitalist a society is, the greater the level of freedom an individual has to do that. Uh -huh. And does capitalism still exist without that notion of progression or or uh, greed? So I think economically, growth is always crucial to the concept of capitalism, because without it. There, well, there has never been like a, a successful system whereby there wasn't reasonable economic growth year on year, month on month, whatever it is, and like that has since since the foundation of economics. I think that that's kind of been a constant that there would always be economic growth. So there have been instances. I think Japan is one example in like the nineteen nineties where it kind of hasn't really the economy hasn't grown past a certain level and had, didn't do that for a while, but. Yeah, I think growth is always key to the key to the. Well, it, it it makes sense too in that if there's no growth, then there is no prospect for improvement, and there's no prospect for the earning of money yeah. in 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 that system. You know, yeah. so like people need to have people need to have faith that what they'll do will result in in earnings down the line, and that will that will keep progressing. Sure. Know? Yeah. And that could be looked at as a negative or a positive, right? From a negative. Um, I guess talk us through the negative aspects of wanting, wanting the reliance on growth. I mean, yeah, yeah, and potential over reliance. Well, theoretically, I suppose the issue with it is that there's no promise of it. Do you know? Um. Like people have said throughout history that they there was no guarantee that there would still be innovation. Do you know? People have said like I know there's some there's some famous person quoted as saying in like 1930 or something that it was quoted as saying um, we've invented all we can invent. And like obviously, <laughs> if you look at it now, obviously that's completely that was yeah. completely wrong. But the like yeah, so, so like I suppose your question is like, will there come a point when we can't we can no longer rely on that? Well, is is it negative to get too caught up in always wanting more, in always wanting that that progression? So that's one of the main uh, arguments against capitalism is greed, right? Mm. And um, why? Is that is that true? Is that is that a, is that a thing? Well, yeah. I suppose the justification for it is that that individual pursuit of betterment will always create. This is the justification, as as a capitalist would say to you. This is uh -huh. why we should have capitalism. Is that when that the power of the individual to make things better for society by seeking so, by seeking personal progression or personal wealth, whatever it is, mm -hmm. is that that's that's the best way to achieve progress in society mm -hmm. so like the example would be Elon Musk is because Elon Musk can see that he's allowed to earn billions upon billions of dollars if he keeps making stuff keeps making electric cars whatever it is and then by virtue of that society then has electric cars and has PayPal and whatever else it is so and then th th on the opposite side of that you have say like we'll say socialists or opponents of capitalism in its current form would say that we're so hyper-focused on that getting to the next level that we're too afraid to take care of the people on the bottom rung of the ladder. Yeah. And that's, that's, the, that's the objection is that, and you can see it, and like, you can see, and this is kind of an argument that those people would use, is that you can see Elon Musk up here with his 20 billion or whatever he's worth, and 100 yards down the road in LA there are thousands upon thousands of homeless people, and they say, well, this this focus on never-ending growth is just so counterproductive and we have to throw it out. And so I suppose 
yeah, the, the, the productive discussion lies somewhere finding that middle ground. Yeah. You know, finding where we can have these people like Elon Musk and where they can keep doing what they're doing and keep doing what they're doing for society, but where we take care of the people on that bottom rung as well and where we bring them up a little bit. And so I suppose that's probably what we fail to do as a society and how we fail to modify capitalism is how we, we, can't, we haven't found that system where that can be achieved yet. So is that a question of taxation? Is that a question of welfare? Obviously, it's a complicated question, but... it's Yeah, it's a very difficult question. And I suppose it's like probably the, like it's the main question that faces politicians across the world now, really. And I think what it centres around as well, and we were just talking about this just before we came on air, was is that like capitalism means different things in different places. Mm-hmm. So like in America right now, it's probably the best example of like a, a society that's completely structured around like it, it, it's the most pure form of capitalism that exists today. You know, compared to like European countries or compared to probably Australia as well, it's it's there's much more of a focus on social benefits and there's much more of a focus on it's higher taxation and stuff. And so in America now you have a system where like, people like Bernie Sanders, like Bernie Sanders is widely labelled like a socialist and a communist and a Trotskyite by all these people on the right. Yeah, yeah. But what Bernie Sanders wants, if you listen to him, is not radical at all by European standards. He wants subsidised healthcare, he wants mm-hmm. subsidised education, which are things that are completely taken for granted in where I'm from, Ireland, like, probably presume it's similar enough in Australia, like, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of a given that that will exist to some extent. Yeah. That if you are not a high earner, that you will have, you will be able to rely on the government taking care of you and educating your kids. And if you get sick, you know, you'll be, you'll have a basic level of healthcare there that will, will keep you from dying or whatever it is. And so, because like, you know, so people like Bernie Sanders, are, like, they're called socialists and this is, and, but, it, but Bernie Sanders just wants what's, what's, what's considered normal in, in Europe and, and, and elsewhere. And so I think for America particularly, I think they, they probably need to loosen the focus a little bit on, on that pursuit of growth all the time because it's, it's hurting them. You know what I mean? You can see it. You can see it and you see it. And I'm, I'm cautious of, of, I don't want to say that things should be a certain way in a different country because I don't want to be like, I, I, I appreciate the cultures are different. Yeah, and I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to tell any other, you know, I don't want to be making remarks about a country that I don't live in and, and that I'm not from. But you can see the damage that it's doing in in communities in America, and you can see, I mean, the income disparity is crazy. Like, I mean, it's it's you have these people that can make on on the extreme level, they can make billions, like these like tech entrepreneurs and like those people. But even they can make like if you I mean if you're a lawyer <coughs> or a doctor in the states, you can make you can make really really good money, and you do that to some extent at the expense of these people who don't have a chance to get out of poverty, who don't have access to education because it's so expensive and who don't have access to healthcare if they get sick because it's so expensive. <coughs> and that's, sorry to get around to get back to your question initially, that's to do with taxation. And it's to do with the fact that you're not saddled with a huge amount of tax if you do well financially in America compared to other countries. Mm-hmm. You know, and I suppose, do you know, it's like it's going to take someone like Bernie Sanders who can't get elected because he know the DNC won't back him because he's too radical. But it's going to take it's going to take, I suppose, gradual change, incremental change over probably many many years if that if that is change at all. But this this seem what you're talking about with these um, <clears throat> inequalities. You're talking about uh, education being too expensive and healthcare and mm-hmm. and things like that. Is that the fault of capitalism? Because you say at the start that the opposite to capitalism is socialism, but in socialist theory, do they not also incorporate capitalist systems anyway? Yeah, well, I mean, in democratic socialism, I mean rather than like say Venezuela socialism, like well, that's <laughs> yeah. communism, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, like, yeah. that's it. So that's where, a- do we, where do we differentiate? Because like a lot of people think that cap- it's either capitalism or socialism, but in reality, it seems to be much more integrated, right? Yeah. So that's I think that's. That's what gets lost in this conversation a lot, is the space between these two opposing points of view. Because you, you, you have, and I think social media is probably the instigator of this to a big extent, because you have people on the right who are like, I'm a capitalist, I don't believe in this, that and the other, because I'm a capitalist. And you have like this person who's like, I'm against capitalism, I want this, that and the other. But it's not really articulated what those differences mean on the ground. And like, you're right, like socialists, so socialist countries do have 
you can take like you 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 can undertake entrepreneurship or you can you can get well qualified and get paid more by virtue of that in most countries that have like you know nordic countries and european countries that have say socialist systems like that have publicly funded education and publicly funded healthcare and stuff like that so there's a very important middle ground there that i don't think a lot of people explore when Mm. they use the word capitalism or when they use the word socialism they view them as they view them as these dirty words or these 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 things that they either believe in fully or that they don't believe in fully and like i think that's the most important thing to do when you're having this discussion is to break down what that means for sure because you see a lot of uh, activists nowadays namely um socialist libertarians or anarchists Mm. who call for the death of capitalism right yeah, but it, it, while while on their iPhone, tweeting about it on their iPhone, like exactly yeah. right. Yeah. But like yeah. th- they they are also avid believers in socialism. But is is it possible to have <clears throat> to have socialism without capitalism? Is my question, or is it are they intertwined? No, I mean I, I think they're totally intertwined, and I think they're definitely intertwined in well, certainly in Ireland where I'm from. I mean, like it's a capitalist country, isn't it? You know, people people work hard and they do better on the back of that hard work. But yet you have publicly funded healthcare, I mean, it's pub- very well funded education. And there are drawbacks to that too. And like, I, I know the main, the main issue with publicly funded healthcare is that it's inefficient. You know, there's no, it's, it's just impossible to run a public healthcare system cheaply and effectively. But yeah, so that's, that's the truth of it is, is that in, 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 in the countries that are probably run best, is there's a productive intertwining of those two concepts. Do you know what I mean? 100%. Yeah. Are there ways that capitalism can benefit the working class? Oh, well, it does benefit the work. I mean, more so than, than any other, anything else, arguably, ever. <laughs> like, you know what Exactly, I mean? yeah. Like, yeah, so I mean, like, before you had, before you had capitalism, you had, like, we'll say monarchies or whatever. Like, before it emerged in, around the Renaissance time, there was, like, you know, that was how things got done. There was, like, there was these monarchic dictatorships, and, like, they instructed their subjects to do this, that, and the other. And then, like, when this idea emerged that private individuals could take their capital and use their, their initiative to go and build things with it, that's when we really started to see human progression, like, really take off. And, like, it's, it's evident in, in, like, do you know, America, I suppose, early 20th century America, maybe even before that would be probably, you know, like, you can, you can just see, you can see the progression. It's, it's so... It's so blatant how, how much it achieves <coughs> when you just let individuals operate in the market by themselves. But, you know, it's, it's, it's painfully evident. Like, I mean, there's no denying it. It's, it's, we, could spend, we, could, we, could, we could talk about examples here all day of, yeah. of where that's happened. But, you know, and you know. so because there seems to be a lot of the opposite when you, with the ab- abolishment of private property in certain uh, communist dictatorships around the world, let's take Venezuela, for example, mm. where uh, people are lining up for days without, without getting food. So how important is, uh, if you believe this, uh, private property as a, as a system, as, as a concept um, for the proletariat, like for, for the lowest class in society? Because it's often looked at capitalism as a combatant, as, as a threat to the proletariat. That's the whole communist uh, theory, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Is is that true, or what are your what are your thoughts? No, well, I mean it's not evidently not true. I mean I don't think anyone wants to live in in a society where you're not allowed have basic basic amenities. You know, or like a plot of land, or or like you know just basic bits of wealth for yourself, whatever that might be. I, I don't think anyone really wants that if you drill down and if you really ask them, except like these anarchist types who who, who mm. just say what they say on Twitter just to get a few likes or whatever it is. Mm. But so obviously, anyone would agree that private property is essential to have. But that's not that, and a well-funded public system or well-funded public systems of, say, education, healthcare are absolutely not mutually exclusive. And you can allow people to amass, you know, private property with part of their wealth, and you can tax them on another part, and you can use that tax money to fund public public welfare. And like, obviously, it's not perfect, and like. Government is a very inefficient way of getting things done. I mean, when there, when there's not a profit, like, and this this is this is this is the argument that like really hardcore capitalists will will throw at you, and they'll say that the only way to get things done really efficiently is to have someone there who's working on a profit margin, mm-hmm. who is doing the best they can because they know it results in more or less money at the end of the day, and that's true. 
but there are just certain things that you that I, that I believe and I you know the, the socialist idea is that you can't leave to the private market because it's just, it's just they're not going to take care of it well enough healthcare and or probably education I would say is the biggest example is that education needs to be publicly funded because otherwise it's just going to lead to Mm. cyclical inequality and, and, and it's just not going to work 100% and you see that in America now is, is that's actually probably I think the, the biggest the, the biggest problem <coughs> with, with America now and, and, and why there's such such a disparity between the rich and the poor is because if you can't it, like I mean third level education just costs so much and if you can't get a high level a high quality third level education you're just not going to get the good job that's going to get you out of where you are and up to the next level of income it's just that opportunity exists completely in Ireland like you know no matter what level of income or what what what, what background you come from there are social factors at play but financially there are grand systems in place that will get you to that next level if you're willing to work hard it's it's not as easy but it'll you'll you'll get there whereas in America I mean when you're looking at these academic fees that are just so high and so so prohibitive for people and that's why you have that cyclical inequality that's why you have these communities that are just so depressed all the time and that's why they can't get out of it to a large part i think 100 percent. i couldn't agree more yeah. even in australia um the tertiary uh, education fees are so expensive um my degree was like fifty thousand dollars and if i was going to do a master's it'd be around a hundred thousand uh, dollars just for two years really yeah and that's why I'm doing a master's here, which is costing three thousand, yeah. and that's quite expensive for in Europe. Yeah. Um, but in America, it's even worse. It's I think <laughs> some some degrees are like hundreds of thousands of dollars. Mm. And the problem with that one of many is that kids, when they're eighteen, don't have any fucking clue what they want to do. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So they they sign yeah. up like myself. I signed up for a business degree, which I'll never use probably in my life. Um, yet I still have to pay fifty thousand dollars worth of debt to the government. Mm. And if you're in America, you're, you come out of, of this degree, which you might not necessarily have a job in, and you're 200, 300,000 mm. US it's in crazy, debt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, I would say actually on that point, right, because just to push back on, 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 on the argument where that education needs to be publicly funded, in Ireland, third level education is subsidised to a large extent. And like, there's a grant system in place for people who can't afford the books or the, or the accommodation, whatever it is, and it's it's you know it's it's quite reasonable. Like you know, it gets a lot of people to third level education that wouldn't be there otherwise. But that creates a kind of um, a system whereby people go into courses knowing that it's pretty much bought and paid for, and that they don't really have any interest in, but they do it because it's 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 the mm -hmm. right thing to do. And maybe they get their degree, fuck about four years, get an average degree, or maybe they drop out somewhere in between. And that's all at the expense of the taxpayer, True. which I don't think is right either. Now I think it's 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 a problem that is just an unfortunate circumstance of an necessary system. Yeah. That's the way I would look at it. But it's not <clears> like it's not like you know. Well, perfect. the problem is when when it's, you have to pay for it regardless, then it's it's on a loan. So when you're 18, you're not thinking, okay, this is something I'm going to have to work for a lot of years and put uh, put away eight percent of my income to pay off. You just think, all right, everyone else is going to university, so I'm going to choose a degree. For the sake of it as yeah. well so it's the choice making is the same whether it's free or expensive mm. it's just in 10 years later the kids are faced with this with, mm. with, this, with this problem yeah. of debt but it's sorry I, I don't mean to interrupt but no, no, no. what i'd say too is that just because and people 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 take issue with this and this is another thing you see on social media you know these like these quick fire points it's like oh well, people learn about this this highfalutin uh, academic stuff that they're not going to put to work in the workplace or in real life, whatever it is. But I think that that's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, it teaches critical thinking. It teaches you to, I don't know, get, get out of your comfort zone a little bit and explore ideas. And it teaches you things that you're going to use or that you may use in a job down the line or that, you, or that will just generally contribute to a more, a better educated society, more tolerant society, and a society that's a little bit more receptive to ideas, you know, which is never For a sure. bad thing as far as I'm 100%. concerned. 100%. What are some of the regulations that, uh, obviously, as you say, capitalism is a different <coughs> system in each country, um, but let's take the American system. What are some of the regulations in place to stop the exploitation uh, of the lower class, let's say? Or stop. Anyone? to fight against. Are there regulations, are there checks and balances in place? And if so, are they sufficient? That's a good question. I'm not entirely sure, but I would say that their minimum wages tend to be quite low. 
Yeah. And I think that's especially a problem in, in the service industry where tips, people are relying on tips. Um, Which is a controversial issue. Yeah, so controversial I've one, met yeah. a few bartenders, who, uh, one of my mates um, moved to New York and then I met up with him on a Tuesday night, like a quiet, quiet night. <laughs> um, and he was complaining to me about how he's only getting $9 an hour or, or something like that. And then he pulls out a wad of cash. He's like, look at these tips I got. And it was 500 US yeah, yeah. in one night. It's crazy, he quit yeah. his degree yeah. and everything. He didn't go yeah. back to Australia just, yeah. just because yeah. he was earning like, I think yeah. like a couple hundred grand a year. Really? Yeah. In, well, Jeez. yeah, that's a Tuesday night, man. Yeah. No, I, 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 I spent a summer. I spent, yeah, I spent a summer working in California like years ago um, as a waiter. And like, same story, like you'd get, like we weren't, on, like I wasn't on mad tips because like I think bartenders make more because like, you know, they're, it's cause it's so high volume that you keep getting dollar bills and dollar bills. Yeah. But um, yeah, the money, the money you can make is it, it does, it's not, it doesn't really reflect the difficulty of the job. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's like, you know, you're getting these hundreds of dollars just for waiting tables, <laughs> which is a bit mad. But um, yeah, so that's one, um, that's one area in which there is a lot of controversy in the States at the moment is the idea of the minimum wage. And there was, the, that was mooted as well, I think during the election, the idea of a federal minimum wage, so that one that would apply across all states so like at the moment it's different from state to state like it's 15 in california and it might be like two in kentucky or somewhere like you know um so right. they were they, they were they were talking about this idea of a federal minimum wage of 15 dollars an hour which uh i don't think is necessarily a great idea because it's that's quite high it's a blunt instrument do you that's know? higher than in australia really yeah yeah, yeah. I, th- I think uh last time i checked which would have been a couple of years ago australia was i think 16 or 17 eight Australian dollars mm, an hour, which would be, lower, which would yeah. be like 11 US or something yeah. like that. Yeah. So what are some of the issues of having a, a minimum wage that could potentially be too high for small businesses? Well, it's just going to make it too difficult to employ, to employ, um, you know, the, 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 the bottom rung of your workforce. Like, you know, I mean, if, if you're in a low income state and suddenly you, the cost of employing a cashier or whatever it is doubles for you, mm-hmm. that could make your business untenable. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the kind of populist blunt instrument tool that politicians will use to be like, look at me, I'm like, you know, like, I'll be so great for, for, for low earners and I, I'll do so much for people. Whereas it might have the opposite effect. Now, of course, it's impossible to know unless you see it in practice and, you know, but it, that does sound to me like the kind of blunt instrument that's not going to necessarily achieve what it's meant to achieve. For sure. A hundred percent. What... Can you tell us what is the welfare state and what are your thoughts? Well, as I understand it, the welfare state is just the idea that like your income would be supplemented if it's not high enough to bring you over the poverty line. So like if you are unemployed, that you would get a certain amount of, uh, a certain amount of uh, replacement income or that if you are in need of healthcare that you would get it on the, on the state. That's, our, our childcare and stuff is that that's my understanding of it. Yeah. I mean, is it? Yeah. Yep. But um, my thoughts on it. Yep. Yeah, I think it's necessary, <clears throat> and I think it gets a lot of flack for being inefficient and for being exploited by the people that receive it, and I think that's fair enough. But I just don't think that there's any reasonable basis for getting rid of it. Do you know what I mean? And I think that you have to live with a certain amount of inefficiency when anything is publicly funded, anything at all it's just not going to be that efficient. And like you can see that, you, you, you can use a hundred examples. But if you have a situation where kids are going hungry or people are living on the street and like there's, there's no way to fix that. I mean, you can't just say to these people, right, well, like you're gonna have to get a job and start pulling, like, you know, pulling up your socks, whatever it is. Like you just have to make a certain allowance for people that aren't gonna be able to support themselves. And I think, that may not have been possible throughout the majority of human history, but it's possible now. Like we've come far enough as a society that we can afford mm. to take care of people, even if they can't can't pull their weight. And there's going to be a certain percentage of people always who, who, for whatever reason, whether it be disability or it might even be addiction or it might just be circumstantial stuff, they're just not going to be able to contribute the amount that it takes to that they need to contribute to keep themselves alive and afloat. And I think that we've come far enough as a society that we can just say, look, okay, now we should try and make it as efficient as possible, obviously, but there's just going to be, yeah, you're just going to have to like suck it up really and just, sure. and just do it like, you know? For sure. Yeah. Um, so is, it's possible, is it possible to live with capitalism and the welfare state concurrently? Oh, absolutely, I think, yeah, completely, yeah. 
Okay, uh, let's go back to the basics. So a, a lot of uh, the criticism against capitalism is the criticism against money. People say that money is the devil, right? Mm. In your opinion, is there an alternative to money? What would be the hypothetical situation where if we say, okay, uh, money is abolished? Back to the barter system, I suppose. <laughs> like, I don't know, yeah, it's, it's crazy. But like, <clears throat> when you think about money, it's, such, it's, it's a remarkable invention, really, that we can assign a value to, to goods and services and to production and that, that we can make that applicable across everything. Like, you know, and that we can say that, like, that this is worth this X amount of this good is worth the same as Y amount of this service. And that we have this, this medium for making, for, for, for seeing where that, how that works out. <laughs> um, so I personally can't see any way that we're, or any way we're going to do that better than, than we're doing it at the moment. Definitely not. No, I mean, like. Do you mean in terms of like a, like an like a, a tech a technological solution or no? So I'm not talking about. Um, we'll get into like cryptocurrencies and mm. stuff later on. Yeah. But without money, <clears throat> would we still live in a capitalist society? Is that just part of human nature? Do you think? Do you think that we'd find something else, whether that would be gold to or establish that a hierarchy, would, like of trade of uh, yeah. progression? Well, there are. Dominance hierarchies, I suppose, to use that word. Jordan Peterson always always uses that term, doesn't he? Like, and that they are so fundamental to the way we operate as humans. And like, in order to be happy, to be fulfilled, and never mind material wealth, that you need to be pursuing progression along a dominance hierarchy. Mm -hmm. And so, that does make sense if you think about it, because you know, like, it makes sense that you'd be happy and fulfilled when you're pursuing something that's meaningful to you. And that when you put time and effort into that and you see like that it bears positive results for you, that that's very rewarding on an individual level and it's rewarding in a way that maybe nothing else is. So yeah, I suppose how that would relate to the question of money is that like, yeah, like I mean, that, that, that impulse to succeed at the expense of someone else's failure will always exist. And it seems, yeah. to, it seems to be an immutable characteristic of, of, of human nature, yeah. For sure, that, but that's more in the sense of like the state of nature of, yeah. of like humanity. But yeah. I mean, from a functionality perspective, right? So if we don't have money and I'm a carpenter and uh, you're an electrician, for example, how do we trade services? Would, would, would we live in a society where we just find an alternative? Or is money the reason for capitalism? Or is capitalism just something that's entrenched as a, as a functionality system that, that would happen anyway, regardless of if we have a, a uh, currency, I think, so to say. I think that there have been like, that there's, there's literature on this uh, from the point of view of like, say like earlier human societies where it's, you, were, you were dealing with smaller groups. Yes, and this is what I want to get into yeah. on a big population, how much that has to do with that. Yeah, I, th I, think, oh, I think the consensus is that it won't work in a big group. Because it's impossible to make someone, it's impossible to make someone behave altruistically for thousands of people they don't know. You can achieve it within a tight community. I think the numbers around 150, like that, that studies show, studies of like tribal communities show that you can actually people will cooperate in a group that size, mm. and that that they will operate for the benefit, excuse me, for the benefit of their peers in the same way as they will operate for the benefit of themselves. But is that system operable when you're dealing with thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions of people? Probably not. Yeah. Like, I, I don't see any evidence that that's the case, like, you know. For sure. Yeah. So does that leave us, do you think capitalism is inevitable in a globalised society? In a globalised society, society? Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. certainly more difficult to work without. For sure. Yeah. Uh, so why, it's quite uh, controversial, but it's, it's a reality, but why has historically the abolishment of private property uh, in certain states led to a dictatorship, an abusive dictatorship, whether that's in the Soviet Union, in North Korea, in China, <clears throat> or in Venezuela? Why, what, where does capitalism come into play and why, what sort of effect of the abolishment of private property has on that, um, on that abuse of power? So you're saying what, why, does, why does the abolition of private property lead to totalitarianism? For sure, yes, exactly. I just think it's because it's a, diff, it's a hard sell democratically. Like, you know, it's a, it's a, if a politician runs on a campaign of, uh, 
I want to take your house and your farm, it's they're not going to get very many votes. Like you know, I think that's it. But like I think, <laughs> like you know, like I, I just don't think that you're going to get widespread bipartisan support for 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 things like that because people like owning stuff. Like you know what I mean? People want to have their house and they like they want to have they want they want that ability to work hard and be rewarded for it. And I think like where those regimes succeed is they they capitalize on a minority on a minority feeling that the system is unfair and that it's, the odds are stacked against them and that they can then take that by force and whatever way they manage to take it they just keep hold of it then because they know an open vote isn't 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 what isn't what they want and it's not going to keep them in power mm. and i think it's actually interesting as well that like you say that because like I think people people rush to condemn socialism with these examples like Venezuela and like North Korea, and they're like, "Well, look, this is what you're going to get. Like, you know, this is you're going to get this broken society that where nothing happens." But that has to do more with the regime than the underlying the underlying economic theory. Like, these people have like these countries are in the situation they're in. Because they don't have democracy, and because the people don't have a voice, and because like once you once you get someone who's in that position of absolute power, they're going to abuse it, and it's going to have awful repercussions for the man on the ground. And for sure, so they're not like what I'm, like it's it's not mutually. You know, you like you you don't have to. Sorry, to circle back to the original questions, like why do why does the abolition of private property and dictatorship go hand in hand? It's because you're just not going to get popular support for the abolition of private property because people want to own stuff. Like you know, it's it's mm. you know. But there there is still uh, societies that, in, with communist theory, the proletariat are for that originally. So they they so they would vote for a a, a, complete, so, a society a, without private property in some instances. But like what I'm trying to exist today, you mean? No, not not so much okay, in, yeah. in existence yeah, today. Yeah. But that's the point of the question is. Where does that theory go wrong in its application? Nowadays, you mean? Well, historically. What would be an example of one that would have? Uh, well, the Soviet Union, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that, did they come to power democratically? Did, 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 like... uh, well, it was the Russian Revolution, uh, so it wasn't really uh, democratically. <laughs> but I guess it was. It was by uh, they had committees and. Yeah. Um, and whatnot, but I'm not saying that I'm, I'm not saying that that, that historically uh, these communist societies were democratic. Mm. For sure, I completely acknowledge that they weren't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but what I'm trying to say is that, like, why is historically the the abolition or the lack of a capitalist based, whether that's so- socialism, capitalism, um, socialist capitalism, or, or whatever, why has a completely uh, non-capitalist society in certain instances led to a dictatorship or an inequality that's far greater than that in in many capitalist societies and whether that's by wealth or mainly by power is in terms of how do people know what what their role is without individuality and without the right to have private property and without the right to even choose their role their job in in society so you're asking how, like, I know, I'm not really sure I understand the question. Like, if we get rid of capitalism altogether, okay, do you think that so le- that all that all property is centrally owned and distributed, expropriated, all okay. all all uh, property is expro- expropriated, and every industry is collectivized? Mm-hmm. Does that allow for an abuse of power? And historically, has that happened? Well, yeah, because I mean, the power immediately vests in the government. <laughs> they suddenly have all the power, and I think that's like probably what you're seeing in Venezuela now is like you know like. They just have all this power and and when stuff starts going wrong ordinarily they'd be voted out but they like that that facility isn't there so they just they seize power with like whether it's killing people or whatever it is and as well the people in power when when gdp starts going down and when the standard of living in the country starts disimproving you know that upper class isn't going to want to to roll with that trend themselves. I mean, they're going to they're going to retain their level of wealth, which means it's the proletariat who suffer. Mm. So, yeah, that's probably why it goes hand in hand is is because that I just can't handle it. Like you know, you can't you can't when 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 productivity starts going down, and 
ordinarily someone would be voted out, they're not going to relinquish that power and they're not going to relinquish the wealth, which is why you have like the situation you would see in, in Venezuela now or in North Korea, where there's yeah. also recently a lot of famine, I think, in North Korea. Yeah. But, um, yeah. And it seems quite ironic that the proletariat are the ones that suffer out of a system that's, yeah. that <laughs> ideally yeah. is based to benefit them. But that's it. And, like, there was something um, George Orwell said about socialism that I thought was really insightful, which was that um, socialists, a lot, well, a lot of them, not like Orwell was himself a socialist, but like that, a lot of people who champion these ideas don't do so because out of compassion for the poor, but they do so because they hate the rich. Mm. So that these revolutionaries, just they see they see capitalists and their success, and they resent it, and so they don't do what they do to try and make things better for 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 the little guy they do it they do it because they they they, they have that hatred so badly and they just want to they want to dismantle the system for sure and like that's the motivation behind a lot of it i think how can we fight inequality uh in a capitalist society while still promoting uh progression and also keeping the uh, promoting the right to individuality and individual individual qualities it's the million dollar question like didn't <laughs> <laughs> Um, so how can we how can we retain capitalism and still and promote greater equality? Promote progression. So like progression, whether that's uh, f- with capitalist motivation in technology or, or whatever industry that may be, mm. whilst still uh, fighting inequality in terms yeah. of wealth. I think a progressive taxation system is obviously the first place to look. Um, and for me, and this is kind of a controversial idea. Well, maybe not, but it's. Something is, you know, like the established powers are obviously opposed to it. that. Starts that discussion starts with the billionaire class, because like there are people now who have this extraordinary amount of wealth, and that's it's it's so far in excess of what you need as an individual to survive and even to be prosperous. I mean, if you have a billion dollars, you've got a hundred times ten million dollars, which even is a great amount of money to have to do whatever you want on a personal level. So, I think there has to be a serious look at that. That when these people amass that amount of wealth, that there has to be some some system whereby they need to get taxed a lot more. And like obviously, there's very powerful resistance to that, which is probably why it hasn't happened yet. But I think that's definitely something that needs to be looked at. Um, yeah, and aside from that, I suppose th- th- there's probably not an easy answer across the board. I mean, really, what it is is progressive taxation systems that are continually observed and that are continually modified to make sure they're benefiting people and i think you also need to look at the way the money is spent and in way in 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 areas where you have abuse of the social welfare state for instance that that's cracked down on mm-hmm. and yeah it's, it's it's on a micro level i think to make sure resources are properly allocated and like more so like more so than necessarily tax the rich like you know like more so than like increase taxes yeah. across the board like i think it's, it's to do it it's to do it proper management which is a very difficult thing to do and like any government will tell you the same for I'm sure. sure but like I think that, that's the answer yeah it's it's strange how non-transparent governments are with their spending with mm. their spending a lot of the time mm. and you're right like you don't cop it till it's too late like you don't you don't see it till it's till it's too exactly. far exactly and there's a, so much inefficiency especially in australia um and especially in the construction and infrastructure industry which is one of the highest expenditure industries, contracts just get flipped on their head every four years when there's a change of state government. And there's billions and billions of dollars lost in taxpayers' money for nothing. Mm. Um, and there's no accountability. It just it falls back on the party. No, yeah, it fo- no yeah, it falls, yeah, it's actually funny you should mention that. There was recently in Ireland, there was a children's hospital that it's not finished yet, but there was, there was some, I think it was, it came out that it was like, it, it was costing two billion, and it was meant to only cost one billion or something. Like the, the figures involved were massive, and like you know, there was a lot of giving out about this, and like the, the health department are to blame, and the government is so this and so that. But like, I think it's very unfair actually to to, to be to be pointing the finger just at government there because it's it's a system that doesn't invite productivity. Like you know, what I mean, like yeah. the minister for health is one guy who's in charge of a whole lot of other stuff and this massive building project as well. And he's trying to get it done as efficiently as he can, but like, you know, there's no, I mean, the person with that contract knows that like, it's, it, there's no, there's, the money's gonna keep coming. I mean, it's, it's, it's the mm. public exchequer. It's, 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 
there's essentially a limitless pot of gold 100%. that they can keep putting from, you know. So yeah. it incent it's moral hazard, like it incentivizes. And it's not criminal. There's no yeah. criminal persecution, yeah. like yeah. which, in my opinion, there should be for someone who's personally accountable for a loss of taxpayers' money of six billion dollars, which happened in, in Victoria in the East West Link by a politician named Dan Daniel Andrews. Then someone is getting locked up for trying to sell five grams of marijuana. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he's yeah. he's lost six billion dollars with no result, and he's still a polit is still. So sorry, the situation there was that. It was through mismanagement or through embezzlement? <clears throat> so essentially there's a change of state government, if, if successful, every four years uh, in, in Victoria, in Australia. And there was a project called the East-West Link where okay. all the contracts were signed um, and private, partner, private, private public partnerships were already, were already signed. The project was about to go ahead. And then uh, the head of, of the state government that, that seceded uh, cancelled all the projects. So the costs of defaulting on those contracts was six billion dollars or uh, i might be getting the figures wrong but yeah. it, was, it was in the billions okay. um including the, the the private contracts as well so not just the public expenditure so that's jobs uh that's it's just taxpayers money um and a lot of the private contracts that were lost people don't realize but are superannuation funds uh who are investing in in, in these sort of infrastructure projects so when they lose it's also people's pensions who, yeah. who are losing yeah, yeah. Um, and there was no alternative at that time there was it was just a cancel for a cancellation of a contract for a political for him to was, get into it a, power it was a partisan thing was yes it? Like, yeah, exactly yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's but crazy like, yeah i mean yeah. but that's one that's <clears throat> one decision that's cost like there's a there's a huge uh um property is so expensive in in melbourne um mm. and in australia in general but like there could have been so many apartments like social social housing yeah. built with that, with that, billions of dollars, yeah. um, and he's just not held accountable, mm. and that's one of the problems of our system, and one of the problems of de democracy, in my opinion, nowadays mm. in general, that there's no accountability for for politicians. And um, you talk about taxing the rich, which I do agree with, um, but there also surely needs to be more accountability for bad decision making um, from a government yeah, well, perspective. It, bad decision making on the government level is probably probably the biggest. The biggest issue in a lot of these discussions because i know we have it in ireland all the time people give out about the government and they're like they, they can't do anything right as far as some people are concerned and there's definitely an element of truth to that yeah i mean there is definitely a lot of a lot of mismanagement that goes on on the taxation of the rich right i ha i had this idea which which might be quite facetious quite stupid but do you not think it's a bit fucked how if you're a messy or if you're a <clears throat> billionaire or whatever if you are paying hundreds of millions of dollars in tax then you don't get rewarded anything compared to someone who doesn't. Oh, so yeah, actually, should we have incentives? And then maybe that those incentives could keep that person in their country as well, rather yeah. than the Jeff Bezoses who like uh, just uh, entertain loopholes to not pay tax in America or wherever they reside. Mm. Like, should we have incentives for people or benefits, social benefits for them somehow that aren't uh, capital related to when they're paying huge amounts of tax? Oh, yeah, actually. I might go for, to the toilets before yeah, I yeah, 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 no worries. So. Yeah. It's actually mad he asked me that. I was, um, this random idea popped into my head the other day and I was just kind of thinking about it. About this idea of, so Bernie Sanders has this quote from a few years back where he asks, should we allow there to be billionaires? Essentially, should we have a system whereby people can amass that much wealth and that we don't take it off them in the form of tax or whatever it is? And it kind of got like you know I was kind of thinking about it. it's kind of like that's that's quite an interesting one but like the, I, the the immediate objection that someone might have to that is well if <coughs> if if we're going to tax the people that earn that sort of money it's it's unfair because there are people that genuinely do incredible things and that like that that earn these amounts of money and far in excess of that amount of money and like to some to some to some extent they deserve it. So like I think an interesting way of managing that. And this is kind of, it's a rudimentary idea, like, you know, I'm sure there are a million holes you could poke in it. But what if we took people that earn more than, say, 100 million quid in a year, mm -hmm. or whatever, 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 the, whatever the number would be, mm -hmm. and we started taxing that excess income at 99% or whatever, but instead of just taking it and putting it towards public coffers, as we do with normal income tax, we say, you, you say to that person, you say to the entrepreneur, whatever it is, you say, right, this is government money and it's going to be put towards public 
public projects, but you have a say in how it gets spent. So you say, I want, to, I want it to be spent on healthcare, I want it to be spent on education, I want it to be spent on the army, whatever it is. And we might not, you don't get the final say, but we'll take it into account. And that after that then as well, when that money is, when your money is getting spent, it's its own fund. And there's a committee that would, that would distribute those funds and that would, 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 would decide how they're spent and put, put that into action. And that you are guaranteed a seat at that table or a, a representative of yours is guaranteed a seat at that table. So that you actually, because if you think about it as well, I kind of alluded to this earlier. When you amass those serious amounts of wealth, like that, those really, really high amounts of money, it goes beyond the place where you're just doing it for yourself. I mean, you already have enough money for 10 swimming pools and 20 houses. And like, you know, it's, it's, it's way beyond anything you can spend just to make yourself happy day to day. Yeah. So really what you're earning that money for is, is influence. Like, you know, if you've got billions upon billions of dollars, you've got a lot of influence. You can fund political campaigns. You've got the ears of powerful people. You, mm. can, you can make stuff happen on a, on, a, on, a, on a high level. So I suppose what that's doing is acknowledging that. What, what my system potentially would do is acknowledge that, but allow them to exercise that influence in a way that, that's not undemocratic, that gives the people a say in how that money is spent, and that you know maybe just like it balances the productivity of the the private entrepreneur with the with, with the public interest that 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 the government brings. Hundred you know, percent. So giving like, them some sort of autonomy yeah. over how the, their money is spent. Mm. I think that's yeah. a really good idea, man. Mm. Like, um, and it would also encourage people to keep exactly like, yeah, it, it, like it, it, earning yeah. money, yeah. which in turn is being taxed, mm. which in turn is going towards these public mm. um, systems. Yeah. Let's talk about uh, universal basic income. So um, Andrew Yang dropped mm. out just before the coronavirus, I, I, I think, right? Around so around I think it was just around then. And I have a range of different political views, but I actually thought it would have been interesting to see mm. um, what it would have been like yeah. um, if, if he got into power. And so talk us through what the basics of what basic, uh, basic universal basic income is and how it works. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting to brought him up actually. I thought, well, my my entire experience of him is based off his interview on Joe Rogan, but I actually <laughs> <laughs> same, <laughs> obviously. Yeah, but uh, I thought he was a really intelligent guy, and I thought that because the concept was something that I at the time would have dismissed out of hand. <clears throat> I would have been like, "That's ridiculous! Like that's never going to work." But yeah, I th- I thought he made a really good case for it, and I think it's something I've been kind of interested in since. But the idea basically is that everyone makes at least a certain amount of money. So and, you say and make, or, or sorry, is 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 given or uh, like get a certain amount of money, and that ideally that inc- that level of income is the poverty line. So everyone automatically starts at the poverty line before they do any work, and then can can make their own way after that. And there's a couple of different theories on how that might work. So. Do you know, uh, one one system is negative income tax, whereby people are income taxed normally above the poverty line, but if you're below the poverty line, you get money until you until you come up to it. And then there's other systems whereby, you know, just anyone who's who's below it is just brought up to it automatically. And there's systems where like everyone just gets a certain amount, like across the board, everyone just gets a thousand dollars a month, whatever it is. Yeah, that's um, what uh, Yang was suggesting, thousand yes. a month. Yeah. Um, and the idea is that the, the social welfare state as it exists currently aims to plug gaps. So it aims to be like, okay, you've got, you're a single mother with three dependent kids, you've got no job, so you get a grant for this, that, the other, the other. And it, it, that's all has to be figured out by some guy in an office somewhere. And it's, it's open to exploitation too, because, you're, uh, because there's, um, you know, there's an incentive to not work. Do you know, and that's the other, sorry. That's the other main gripe that people have with the welfare state is it disincentivizes work, which it does. I mean, like, like if, if you take someone who's earning maybe $200 on welfare and might get $350 working 40 hours a week and they've got kids to take care of, it doesn't make any sense for them to go out and, and, and to take that job. It just, like, you know, it doesn't. I and mean, you see that across the world. Mm. And it, you know, this is one of the main difficulties people have with the welfare state. And so if you brought in a system like universal basic income, one, it would massively reduce the amount of administration work that goes into allocating social welfare. And two, 
it would remove the incentive for people to cheat the system because everyone's starting at the poverty line and going up rather mm. than starting at zero. So, you know, you have that money anyway and you have your time back to work or start a business or create artistically or mind your kids or whatever it is. And that, like, no one should... The idea is that no one should starve because they want to do those things. Yeah, mm. 100%. I think it's a... Um, like, you, like you were saying, that when I first heard about the idea... Uh, it, and I, I had my friend Sam who um, runs a neuroscience podcast and we we're talking about when you hear an idea that's uh, separate to your own narrative or your own belief systems how you have these defense systems mm. and you sort of um, push, push it away like as, as, a, as a defense mechanism yeah. um, which I did I, th- I thought this is stupid like it's going to cause inflation it's going to cause people to be mm. lazy but the more I think of it especially in times like, like coronavirus or, or whatnot. Mm then having that base income just to be able to pay your bills, um, like you would hope that people would get bored if they just do nothing. So they would yeah, find well, that's, something that's that, the theory, yeah, that, that, yeah. That, like that they are. Um, yeah. the, but the, what I think is there isn't a uh, perfect society where no one's gonna get bored. There mm. are still gonna be people that do fuck all. Yeah. But in general, maybe it is a, a good thing. Maybe it is something that we need. And maybe yeah. something like this coronavirus is, a catastrophe that, that needs to give us the kick in the ass to start implementing something well, like that. If you, if you're saying about the coronavirus, I mean, it's the, it's the coronavirus kind of forced countries to implement something akin to it anyway. I mm. mean, like in Ireland, people are getting, I think it was 350 euro a week, which is, you know, like you, you live on that, like, you know, good, it's, it's yeah. good money. Um, and so, like, obviously, you weren't getting it if you were working, whatever. But, like, you know, everyone, everyone was kind of at this level then. And, like, you know, like it kind of creates this idea as to well, like the, the world didn't shut down. You know, like exactly, shops yeah. stayed open, things kept moving. Like obviously, it added to the national debt or whatever, and we'll have to figure that out probably in years to come. But you know, it's it's workable. Like it's mm. it, it it can it can work. What you said about inflation is, I believe, the biggest difficulty with it is that potentially the the, the positives might just be cancelled out. Mm. quickly enough because production won't keep up with demand and prices will just skyrocket and it, n- no one will be any better off in the long run that's a theory and that's something people say might be an issue so i suppose no you're figuring it out really yeah. unless unless it's, it's implemented so h- how much do you think that will pose of a problem to inflation um because i have no idea myself but like it seems like a relatively small number compared to the ultra rich and how much wealth they they possess to give people a thousand a month seems quite small so maybe it wouldn't be too bad on inflation but i'm not an economist like it well i suppose it depends on production really yeah like, it, like if 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 you suddenly have uh you know all these people that like that are suddenly buying iphones that couldn't buy iphones before and then there's only a certain amount of iphones you can produce then suddenly the price of iphones will double mm. Uh, so theoretically that's the difficulty with it now whether that would actually happen in practice it's difficult to say at this point because the experiments that have been done at universal basic income are some of them are still ongoing and the ones that are finished like you know it, 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 it there isn't enough evidence essentially to say what would happen with any degree of certainty so i don't know so i think really it's it's just it stands to be figured out, really. I think, like yeah. you know, we there's only so much we can discuss it without 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 hard evidence to work with. The other thing, though, about it, and the other thing why I think a lot of a lot of like experts have decided is probably what's going to happen is because automation is going to continue continue um, eroding the human the, the amount of jobs that humans actually need to do. So you're seeing it already with like you know checkouts in grocery stores or grocery supermarkets yeah and you will event you will you, the next thing i think you'll probably see is cars and driving jobs like taxis and trucks will probably be driven automatically in the, in the coming decades soon enough and once that happens then there are suddenly these huge swathes of humanity that don't have jobs anymore but they don't don't like the, the, the wealth won't necessarily like you know because that production is happening the wealth in the economy doesn't go down by virtue of the fact that these people aren't working. So, like you know, there might actually be enough, enough, enough money and enough resources there to just support these people. Mm-hmm. And then I suppose then but the if, other if they're not working, if they lose their jobs, those industries like the truck driving industry or, or, or car driving industry, whatever, then who pays for the money that they're receiving? Um, I think some pro- most proposals. Um, 
would involve the ultra rich paying a large a large whack of it and corporations mm. um from what i've read now i think that is also the big issue with it is that like even with that you're not going to be able to pay for you're not going to be able i don't think there's any i don't think there's any framework that has been proposed that would get everyone in a given country up to the poverty line that can actually be paid for do you know i think that's that's the main difficulty is like where we want to find the resources mm. but as automation keeps coming and suddenly you can do suddenly there's there's robots that are doing all the driving work and there's robots that are doing like a lot of factory work and a lot of these kind of menial jobs that humans have to do now but might not for much longer so maybe then that's not going to be a problem do you know what i mean like because that's going to change the face of production and how things are paid for so like do you know once 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 these companies can just buy a robot to do a job and don't have to like continuously pay a human to do it more and more wealth will invest in the corporation and they might then be in a better position to fund universal basic income through through taxation it's all obviously you know quite new and still most most of most of these developments have yet to happen so like it, it's hard to say with certainty but yep. it's, it's certainly an interesting um area for sure uh cryptocurrencies so this is sort of a varied question but one of one of the i'm, I'm not, not an expert on it but like one of the um motivations for cryptocurrency i believe was uh, reserve banks having too much power over mm. money. Um, I could be I could be butchering that. But how is what? How does cryptocurrency uh, come into play with capitalism and in society in general? It's something I'm not entirely familiar with myself because um, I know a lot of it is based around tech. Like there's there's ways of mining bitcoins and stuff mm. that like you know it's it's to do with programming and it's yeah it's it's not something I understand particularly well. But the idea of central banks being too powerful is an interesting one because like you know they're not democratically elected institutions like the fed in america yeah. is just like that's just like someone is appointed and like these are people who have who are maybe appointed by political leaders but they're not people that have much accountability to the public and they have huge power to to you know control control the flow of currency and stuff so it's an interesting idea it's actually funny you mentioned that as well the central banks thing is that was one of the main motivations I think for the Venezuelan uh, <laughs> the Venezuelan uh, revolution initially was that they felt that um, they felt that these monetary institutions had too much power so they needed to to um, revel what's the word revolution revolt so we see yeah, you can see how that ended so I'm not I'm not necessarily saying central banking is a bad thing but mm. it's, it is it's an interesting idea yeah that they might have too much power but I don't think cryptocurrencies are well enough understood at the moment to propose a viable alternative to, to traditional currency. Mm. But um, it's certainly interesting to think that that's where it's going because you see as well with even the way that money changes hands now. It's it's all it's all through online banking and through revenue or whatever it is. Mm. And like you know, the, the, the day of physical money is coming to a close. So you know that might have implications down the line. Have to wait and see, I suppose. Finally, mate, let's uh, wrap things up. So, can we live with socialism? Is is socialism and capitalism mutually exclusive? No, absolutely not. And what, not, are, some, not what, what are some of the misconceptions of that question? That they are mutually exclusive, I suppose, is is the, <laughs> is the foundational one. Um, yeah, like it's 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 this it's this idea, like, and it's propagated by social media. Mm-hmm that if you're not with me you're against me and if you stand for the blue side and i'm red then you're this and i'm that and like it's this incredibly unproductive idea and to be fair it's actually it's not just social media i would say that the two-party political system has a, has a role to play in this too because you see in america and you know in you know in 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 in, in most countries i'd say you see a situation where the two main political powers are like the big party on the right and the big party on the left and that's that's like okay in terms of like it gives voters a useful shorthand to be like okay this is the guy i agree with because he thinks this but it's not like when you come when it comes to like finer policy objectives it's it's less productive because there's there's so much within the right and within the left that's not discussed because people are just like oh this guy is against me and I'm never going to vote for him and this guy is with me and, and like it, it's just there's not enough nuance to it to to get there and that's why people see the words socialism and capitalism as dirty words depending on their orientation mm-hmm. and that's what I think I think that's probably that is the most 
important thing for the development of capitalism is that you break down the word and you look at what that means on a policy basis it like break down what it means for like income tax percentage it break down what it means for social benefits break down what it means for you know the implementation of universal basic income whatever it is but just kind of stop viewing these things as blanket terms do you know what i mean a hundred percent i couldn't agree more uh was there anything else you wanted to speak about no i think so. that's pretty much all of it uh, uh, make sure to follow the Rocky Road post on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Thanks, mate. Cheers. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Cheers. Good fun.